All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, shall we, and turn to the book of James. The book of James this morning. In our Bibles, chapter 4. James chapter 4. In our Bibles this morning. We will be getting back to John in chapter 8 in the near future. I'm missing our study in that book, but I've enjoyed our Missions Emphasis Month, and, um, and I hope you have as well. We're going to look at James chapter 4 as a reminder. My heart was drawn to this passage this week um, with an unforeseen uh, situation that took place. Uh, particularly in James chapter 4 and verse number 14, where it says these words, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Um, you know, this, this month we planned, we entitled it Missions Emphasis Month. And um, we, we invited missionaries to come and to speak and to share their heart and their ministry and that our hearts might be knit with theirs and we might better fellowship, partner with them in the work of the ministry. By the way, uh, as a church, uh, we were able to give very graciously and generously and be a real blessing to the missionaries. They were so overwhelmed and thankful, and I want to thank you for that. But we planned for these things. And it's good to plan, by the way, and I hope, you're a, I hope you plan. Some of us are better planners than others. Some of us aren't very good at planning at all. We just kind of go wherever the wind blows us. That can be a little dangerous. You might find yourself in some financial trouble and uh, give yourself some ulcers along through life if you do that. But um, it's good to be a planner, and so we plan. Uh, we plan for Harvest Fest, and um, we course knew it would be the last Saturday in September, as it always is, and uh, we went out, and many of us, and thank you for coming out and working and laboring, not just yesterday, but for weeks now. Uh, I overheard a couple of people talking. It was our very first time out in the Harvest Fest field yesterday, and they said, we had no idea it was this big, and if you've never been, I encourage you to come and labor with us and work with us. It's, it's wonderful. Mrs. Jex came up to me after the second service, and really was overwhelmed with the response of the young people to a gospel invitation. Um, and uh, just many, many young people stepped out from their seat and went back to be counsel, receive counseling uh, to make sure of their salvation. And uh, Dr. Redland's not a manipulator when it comes to a speaker. He loves people, and he preaches the word of God. And he laid out the, the truth of the gospel and invited young people to, to follow it, and they did. And I want you to know, if, where you labored this week or yesterday or the last couple of weeks, last few weeks, or maybe you labored in prayer, I want you to know you are a partner in that ministry, and I thank you for it. But we planned all of these things. We planned on a special singing group coming. We planned on a speaker. We invited a year ago to come yesterday and speak. We worked. We labored. Uh, we planned. But sometimes in life, things happen that you can't plan for. And uh, Thursday evening, I came home to my house, and uh, I received a text message from my neighbor, uh, Melanie, and she said, I need you to get, get a hold of me ASAP. And I don't think she's ever texted me before. And I uh, ended up going over to the house because she wasn't receiving my calls. 
So I walked across the yard to, to her house, and there were people that were gathering in the driveway, and that's never a good sign. And I went inside and found her, and uh, she had come home and found her husband, Clint, had passed away. And uh, some of you know the Hamlines. Uh, they've been coming to Trinity Baptist Church for about two years now. Uh, about a year and a half ago, Clint received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and was leading his family uh, to come to church. Uh, Melanie ended up trusting Christ, his wife, um, for a year. I did a Bible study with them in my home, in our, in our dining room, for a year, every Thursday morning. Uh, just about the Word of God and what it meant for them and their lives. And they were growing. Uh, Julia, their daughter, ended up trusting Christ as well, and Cindy was able to do a Bible study with her, also in our home. And uh, Clint was 35 years old. Uh, his birthday would have been Friday. He would have been 36. So instead of celebrating a 36th birthday on Friday, Melanie was in Sharp Funeral Home planning her husband's funeral. And there are just sometimes things that happen in life that you and I cannot plan for. Um, truthfully, I have not fully digested it yet, I don't think. I still see his equipment out across the, yard, the road, and I still wait for him to come out and mow nice straight lines. Um, I missed them today. Uh, sitting on the platform where they should be sitting as a family. So there are things in life we can't plan for, and I think uh, what, one of the things that struck me this week as I pondered this and um, was this verse, life is not long, it's a vapor. Okay. And so my thoughts were not just drawn to the Hamline family and what I might have hoped to have seen over the next 30 years of Clint's life, him continuing to grow in the word of God, becoming a godly man who feared the Lord and loved his family and loved the church. Um, you know, I, I'll truly, this is how a pastor thinks, as I long to give the word of God to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, you know, my mind would occasionally go to, as Clint would continue to grow, maybe someday he would be serving as a deacon, or something like that, just serving the church giving of himself to love you. And uh, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> All three of his children, none of them have graduated from high school. So my heart was drawn out to think of you. And so I'm going to look at this passage of Scripture with you this morning. Maybe it's for my own good. But I thought of you, and I thought of how we go through life so often making plans. And we plan for retirement, and we plan for our children, and we plan for vacations, and we plan. But the reality of life is <clears throat> that it's possible that one of us might not be here next week gathering with this local assembly of believers. And how we're living our lives matters a great deal to God. In fact, in the context of this passage, he tells us this truth that life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. But the context is 
don't be foolish in your planning. In other words, don't live your life without including God in your planning. Because you don't know when this life for you is going to end. And the reality of this passage is, if I can summarize it, is God should be at the center of every plan that you and I make. How we're training our children. God should be at the center of that. Um, Our marriage, God should be at the center of that. And the tendency for all of us in this life is to go through life sadly living foolishly. And the, the ultimate definition of foolish living is living life without including God. And I'm not accusing anybody this morning of living their life that way. But I know at times in my life, I make decisions without including God in my life. And I want to encourage you this morning, live life with God at the center of every decision you make. Let's look at our passage, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Look there with me, James 4, verse 11. First 10 verses of James chapter 4 are about pride. How God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Verse 11 He goes on and he says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Don't talk poorly about one another. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law. Some people believe that he's referring to the law of love. The Bible teaches throughout it. And judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art a doer of the law. Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So we're not supposed to, we're not, God never set us up to be judges, determining right and wrong of others, but we are to be doers of the law, doers of the law of love, doers of the word of God. Verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, or ye that are saying, you're living your life this way, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. This is, these are the plans of my life. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will... We shall live. If the Lord will, we shall do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, this morning. Lord, I don't think the Hamlines know still how much they meant to some of us in this room how much they mean to us Lord I I regret that Father I suppose it's true that there are some of us in this room that don't know how much we mean to others in this room even this morning Lord I pray that we as a church would continue to grow in our love for one another for believers our love for the lost are rejoicing when they trust Christ. 
our love for them, for one another as we grow through this life. We stumble and fall along the way and not always what we ought to be. But Father, I pray that, that we would know that we love one another. Lord, help us as a church to love the Hamline family during these days. I pray that their children would know that God loves them because of what they see in us. Father, thank you for the reminder of the brevity of life. Father, I pray that uh, this morning that you would use your word in our hearts and our lives to encourage us to do what is right, right where we are right now. And Father, help us to, we say that we believe there's a God. We say that we love you. Lord, help us in the small areas of life, of our lives where no one may see it. Help us to live like you are God. Help us to include you in our lives the way we ought to, you directly at the center of every choice. Lord, because we do not know how long of a life we have on this earth. I pray that you'd help me now as I preach this truth and uh, help our church minister to the Hamline family, help Mel today and her children as they sift through photographs of their daddy. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I do want to tell you before I forget, uh, Clint's funeral will be at Sharp Funeral Home in Swartz Creek on Tuesday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. There will be a funeral dinner to follow here at the church, um, so if you can help out with desserts or something like that. Um, talk to Mrs. Roberts, and uh, she'll make sure we have not we have enough and not too much. Uh, the visitation for the funeral will be Monday from 2 to 4 at Sharp Funeral Home, and then from 6 to 9 on Monday. There's also time for visitation from 12 to 1 before the funeral on Tuesday, okay, with the 1 o'clock funeral on Tuesday. If you're not able to be there, do pray for the family, and pray for me. I'd appreciate it. Uh, let me begin by asking you a question. Do, do you have a desire to do the will of God? Uh, do you have a desire to please him? Do you find yourself longing? I know we all in this room are times tempted in our lives not to. I know we're all at times in our lives tempted to just do our own thing and to please ourselves. I, I know that. I know that about you, and, I, and you know that about me. Okay. We all should know that about one another. We all, at times, are tempted, drawn away of our own flesh, enticed, okay? That's, that's something we, we all face. But the question I have to you is, do you have a desire in you to please God, to know his will for your life? You know he has a will, he has a desire for you in your life. And he has a desire for you and, and me in, in our lives in the big picture of thing, things. He knows how many days that I have on this earth. He knows if I'm going to live to be 70 or 60 or 80. He knows how long my life's going to be. He knows, he knows how he wants to use me. He knows all of these things. And so he has a, a will for me in the big picture, in the big scheme of things. And he has a will for you in the big scheme of things too. But he also has a desire for each and every one of us in the small, everyday workings of life. Um. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we move our way through. Look again at, at chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. 
I, I can't encourage you. This is not what where we'll weigh anchor here or, or drop anchor here this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time with this, but church, can I encourage you not to speak evil one of another? Don't speak evil of, of one another. Don't, don't talk badly about one another. It's not, it shouldn't be a part. These believers were, and so in essence, James is saying, stop speaking evil one of another. They were because the context is pride, prior in chapter 4. He says, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the, of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art a, not a doer of the law. You're not obeying God if you're judging God. That's what he's saying. You're not, please don't believe that you're obeying God if you're criticizing what he says. In essence is what he's saying here. Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And sometimes in our pride, we put ourselves up in a, on a, in a position where we're actually criticizing what God is doing in our lives. We sigh, we're frustrated, we're, we become embittered about it. And, and actually, he is the one who has allowed these things to take place. He's actually working, or, or maybe it's something specifically that he said to us. I'll never forget... Um, a lady telling me one time, she said, I know I'm supposed to forgive my husband, but Pastor, God would never expect me to forgive my husband. And there are times in our lives where we are wounded to such a degree where, frankly, forgiveness seems ridiculous, almost. It seems impossible at times. But even as I say, it seems ridiculous. That's perilously close to doing what this is warning me not to do. Being a judge of what God says. Don't be a critic of what God says. Be humble. Embrace what he says. Verse 12, he says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save, and we sang about that, and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Now, I've taught you from the Word of God that we are to judge righteous judgment. You ought to be discerning. We're not to just go around and say, well, I'm not anyone's judge. Okay, well, you're not the judge of all the heaven and earth, are you? But you are supposed to have discernment. You, you and I as parents ought to be able to see something, and, and it, ought, it ought, in our minds, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, ought to say danger, and we ought to warn our children, hey, don't go with them. Why? Because danger is around them. Well, you're just being judgmental. No, judge righteous judgment. Be discerning, but don't be people's judge. In other words, you're not to be the one, and I'm not supposed to be the one, who is bringing the consequences to bear upon. That's not our role. That's God's role, and he'll do that. The bottom line is, is God has a desire for every one of our lives. And so, do I have a desire to do the will of God? Because having a desire to do the will of God is actually a characteristic of someone who loves God and someone who is a believer in Christ, someone who's a Christian. Mark 3 and verse 35 says this, For whosoever shall do the will of God, Jesus says this, The same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus was saying that those who do the will of God are his spiritual family. It's a characteristic of... of of a believer for them to do the will of God. It's a characteristic of an unbeliever 
who says, I don't care if God has a will for me or not. I don't care if God exists or not. I'm going to live my life however I want to live. That's a characteristic of an unbeliever. In Psalm 40 and verse number 8, the psalmist put it this way, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Have you, do you always find in your life that you delight to do God's will? Do you? There's no response. We must be extra tired. Do you, do you, we, that's not true, is it? We don't always delight to do God's will. Sometimes God's will is hard, isn't it? God's will, his word, his will, his spirit within us, leading us to do his will, is contrary, the Apostle Paul told us, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, to our flesh. And they actually war. There's a war going on within every single believer in this room. There's a war taking place. You ever get tired of that battle? By the way, that's why heaven gets more sweet to us as we grow older in this life, because the war starts to grow old. Early on, when we're younger, we think, you know what, this is, we're going to grow out of this. You know, someday, we even say it, you know, well, right now I'm just going to, I'm going to do this now, but someday I'll stop. Someday I'll start following the Lord. The bottom line is, is any of us who have been saved any length of time, as we grow older in life, we realize it's hard to follow the Lord. It takes effort. It takes dedication. It takes discipline at times. The temptations continue to come. The flesh still seems to pull. The, the enticing, enticements of the world are still there. And when we're younger, we tend to look at those who are older than us and think, well, they don't have the same desires for fun like I have. That's not true. That's not true. Even those of us with gray hair still have a desire to some degree to do that which is wrong. And so you can look around this room and you find the people who are older and, and, you don't, we, and it would be no profit to say, so what is it? Tell me your deep, deepest struggles. Tell me your deepest fleshly desires. And let's see how those match up with mine as a younger person. There would be no point in that. But every single person here who is of any age, who has followed Christ for all these years, to me is a powerful witness and a testimony that Christ's power is enough. Because he has enabled these believers, these saints of God who have lived for any length of time to be overcomers of the temptations that you face as a younger person. And I'm right smack dab in the middle somewhere. Whenever I say, refer to myself as a younger person, you laugh at me now. But uh, whether you're a younger person or middle-aged like me, I suppose, or older, older like Tim Mowry, older. No matter where you are, there is, a, there is a battle that's taking place. But the question is, do you have a desire to do the will of God? The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will. It, it rejoices me to do thy will. And I can tell you as a believer in my life, where I am at is, I want to do my heavenly Father's will. But it is not without opposition. It is not without temptation. In Psalm 40 and verse number 8, or Psalm 143 and verse number 10, 
uh, he says this, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. The psalmist wanted to know how to carry out God's will. And that really is uh, something to be learned throughout a, a lifetime. It's not something we just attain and then it's smooth sailing. It's something we're continually striving and continually asking, God, Lord, help me to do your will in this area of my life. I'm struggling in this area. I'm not struggling over here, but I'm struggling here. There's a temptation here. I'm weak here. God, help me to do your will. You're not alone in that. I I want you to see four possible attitudes that we can have toward doing the will of God in the context of our life is short. Because our lives are short, because we don't know, and I was blindsided and dumbfounded this week, when I realized that my ministry to one of you had ended, that I was never going to have the opportunity again to engage um, one of you in a conversation about the Lord. I was never going to have another opportunity to talk to one of you and prepare one of you to stand before God Almighty someday. My opportunity ended Thursday. And I, I tell you, and my wife will to this, I struggled. Did I do enough? Was I there enough for him? Did I spend enough time for him? A couple of weeks ago, he actually had reached out to me, and he had, he had said, hey, pastor, you know, hey, I know we did our Bible study for a year, but could, could we do another Bible study with you again? And that's not going to happen. I can't tell you how precious it is when we, when we ga- are able to gather together. I cannot tell you how precious it is. I know we, we do it four times a week. I know it can get tiring or maybe, maybe we take it for granted. I think that's probably where I should put it. We just take it for granted. But I cannot tell you what a beautiful thing it is when we're able to come together and love one another and just see one another, open the word of God together and ponder life together and God keep God at the center of our lives. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And some of you have family in the room. You're able to be in the same local church as your family. That's a beautiful thing. Others of you don't. You don't have a single family member who's saved, but this local church has become your family. Love one another because we don't know when this life's going to end. So I want to give you four possible attitudes we can have toward the will of God. Number one, uh, we can ignore God's will. We can go through life, we can just ignore that God even has a will. He does have a will, but we can ignore it. We can live life like he doesn't have any say or any desire for us as we go through life. Look at verse 13. He says, go to now, ye that say. And the the uh, grammar there is that ye that are saying. They were saying this. They were living their lives. They were already on the wrong path. Today or tomorrow... We will go into such a city and continue there a year and and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There are some people, I suppose, who just flatly ignore God's will. He has a will. We don't look to his word to find out what it is. Um, maybe our parents instilled in us, at least taught us, or maybe early in our lives we, 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 we were exposed to the Word of God. And, and so we know that God has a will for us, for our marriage, for our, our lives as individuals. 
uh, for us in our workplace, for us in our families, for us in our church, um, for us through hardships. We, we know that God has a will for us, but I see in verse number 13 primarily that there are some folks, this is one attitude, that we just ignore that God has a will at all. And it's almost as if we live like we're atheists. I don't know that there is really, you know, there's some self-proclaimed atheists. But living like, we live like there is no God at all. Now, in the closing paragraph of chapter 4, the Apostle James uses an expression that, as far as I know, is the only, it's only the second time it's mentioned in the New Testament. He says, go to now. And it has the idea of, come on, what do you, what do you, I mean, really, be honest. Go to now. I mean, be honest. Come on. You, do you really, are you really going to live your life this way? Well, the way you're living life doesn't make sense. To live life like God doesn't have a will, to live life ignoring that God has a will for you is ridiculous. That's what he's saying. It's, it doesn't make sense. You're not thinking logically. The God of the heaven and, of heavens and earth, the, the creator God, the God who loved you and me so much that he was willing to send his own son to die in our place, to take all of our wicked, filthy, defiling sin upon his holy body and become our sin and bear our judgment and die our death and suffer our punishment. The God who loved us so much to give us his son. I will not tell you all the details because I've been asked not to. But someone recently gave me a gift. And it doesn't, that's not something that happens often. I'd much rather give a gift than receive a gift. So it was very humbling. It was something that I didn't think I would ever have. And the individuals who gave this gift found the gift back in January. They must have shopped before that. They searched for it. They found something that would fit me. They went and they picked it up and brought it back. They worked on it. They got it ready for me. It was recently given to me, and I knew nothing about it. And as I pondered it, it was a gift for me. They did it with me in mind. You know, it's one thing for me just to pick something up last minute and just kind of cast something before you here. Or I, I had these on my, on my shelf. I wasn't using it here. I, you might be able to use it, you know. That could be a gift. You see the difference in a gift that has been thought out, and shopped for, and then worked on, and polished, and, and then presented because it was custom made for you. God so loved the world. That seems awfully broad in general, and I'm so glad he says that because it's for everyone. But he saved you. And he loves you, and he loves me. And he gave us, each one of us, his Holy Spirit to live in us, to strengthen us. And he knows, the Bible says, the hair, hairs on our head. He can number. He knows everything about us. And he faithfully loves us. He faithfully abides within us. He faithfully comforts us and consoles us. He teaches us where we're at. You know, each of my children, 
are, you know, one of them is just a school person. You know, they just love school. I just think, they, I mean, they're so organized. And then other, another person within my foursome is just not, you know. It's just not made for school, or school wasn't made for that individual. Have you ever tried to teach someone, and they're like a sponger just soaking it up? I mean, it's almost fun to teach that kind of a person. They can't get enough of you and your teaching. And you're like, wow, I must be a great teacher, you know. It's just fun to teach that kind of person. But then you try to teach someone who's, like, totally not interested, or at least it appears that way, or they're not following. They won't remember, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, either I'm a terrible teacher, or you don't, you don't like me, you don't like what I'm teaching you. It's hard. You know, how many of us would consider ourselves to be great Christians, like just incredible Christians, and it must be a blessing to God have to work with us at, through life. How many of us would put ourselves in that category? None of us would. We're all in the remedial class. And doesn't it feel that way sometimes? We're in the remedial class. Again, you know what? He labors long with us. He suffers long with us. He loves us. This is, he has a will for you. He's suffering long with you. He's suffering long with me. It's foolish to ignore that God has a will. So is your life characterized by seeking God's will? If we know that he has a will, would you say that your life is characterized by seeking God's will or by ignoring it? Now, overall. And then in certain compartments of your life. Maybe overall you'd say, well, overall, I think I'm seeking him. Okay, well, now let's look a little bit deeper inside of you. In certain areas of your life, are you seeking God's will in certain areas of your life? Is there any area of your life, should I maybe say it this way, that you're not seeking God's will? You know he has a will. But you're almost hoping that he's too busy with others. And he's not going to really, maybe, I mean, we know he knows everything, but maybe he's just a little too busy and he'll just kind of overlook this area of my life. It's so funny. Not always funny. One of my children, it's very funny when he's trying to hide something. He can't hide a thing. It's terrible. And he'll, like, do walk across the wall. It's, t- it's just ridiculous. It, you know, he could probably walk past me, and I would never notice it if he walked normally. He could probably hold it in his hand, but he's trying to sneak something to church to show his friends, you know. And he's trying to get in the van. It's just, he's terrible at hiding it. And frankly, some of us are like that. And there's something in our lives, and frankly, it's not right. And we know that God has a will about this. We know that he has a will, and maybe we're a bit ignorant of his will about that. We don't know the details about what he might think about that. But we know he has a will, but we're ignoring the fact that he has a will. Can I just tell you, the context here is your life is a vapor. God has a will for you. His will is best for you. Do you know that he wants what is best? He made you. He knows who you are. He knows what your life would be if he could describe it as full, live to the fullest. And you know what? He's the path for you to live your life to the glory of his name. He's the path to living your life and, have, and living a life full of joy and peace and long-suffering, being a man of honor, 
being a woman of honor. He's the pathway to that. Living a life to the glory of God, a life that is lived well. He's the path, and he has a will. Don't ignore his will. I think what's foolish about ignoring God's will is that we don't have the authority to really to plan our own lives and to execute our own plan. I'm all for planning, and I do like planning. I'm not as good a planner as some of you. I do like planning, and I think you're a wise person does plan. But truly, we have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And on top of that, frankly, our lives are fragile. I know some of us in this room are still young and tough. We're tough. You're tough. Nothing's going to happen to you. You've got a long life ahead of you. You're strong. You know, putting away harvest stuff, yesterday some of us found out we're not as strong as we thought we were. You know? But when we're younger, come on. I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want. My whole life is in front of me. I'm telling you, life, you don't have the authority. Do you understand this? You don't even have the authority to determine how long you're going to live. God will determine that. And so, he says again in verse 13, Go to, what are you thinking, ye that are saying, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such a city, and we're going to continue there for this long, and buy and sell and get gain? Don't you know that your life is just a vapor? You don't have the authority to plan your own life or even to execute your own plan. Secondly, I noticed in verse 16, there's uh, another possible attitude we can have toward the will of God. One, we can ignore God's will. Secondly, we can deny that God has a will for us. Verse 16, he says, But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And the word rejoice there means to be loud-mouthed or to brag about what you're accomplishing or what you're going to do, where you're going in life. Yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work until I'm this age, and then I'm going to retire, and then we're going to go do this. Caution. That's what you think will happen. He actually calls it boastings in this passage. And he says, all such rejoicing is actually, do you see the word, evil. Now again, you shouldn't have to go out of this room this afternoon and someone says, hey, where are you guys going for lunch? Well, we don't actually know. Uh, and I'm afraid to say we're, we're planning to go because you're going to think I'm evil for making a plan. We're going to go over to wherever. You know, you're going to have to make some decisions in life. God's going to give you that opportunity. But he's saying... This idea of living life without God. I can remember as a young boy, my father often would use the phrase, God willing. God willing. And I can remember, I can remember him using it at the most inopportune times, at least for me. You know, um, It seemed that way. You know, so we're gonna, I'm turning 16. I'm going to go tomorrow morning. I'm going to get my license, right? Now, what time am I going to leave, Dad? What time is it open? Well, God willing. And it's like, what do you mean, God willing? I have lived. To, if I wake up tomorrow, we are going to get my license. You know, what are you, God willing? 
we are going. Okay, do you see? But we laugh at that. But you see, you see the, the foolishness to that to a degree. It is God willing. That's the fact of the matter. I'll go home today, God willing. <laughs> I'll sleep tonight, God willing. Last night it was God's will that I slept. I got in bed and it was like, boom, that was it. I was out. But it's God willing. And see, that's really the problem. The problem is not with the planning. Make the plans. Work the plan. Seek wise counsel. Make a plan. Please make a plan, okay? Make a plan, please. Don't just go through life like, well, I don't know, whatever. That is not wise. So make a plan. But what's missing in verse 13 is God. That's that's who's missing. And so it was wise of my father and my mother to use that term, that phrase, God willing. We'll go. If God wills. There's a man who was not a saved man by the name of William Henley, and he wrote this. And it's interesting to think about. He says that he wrote this. He said, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody. I've suffered some difficulties in life by chance, but my head is unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. That is the sign of a fool. That is the, that is a statement of a fool. Life is by chance. I've suffered some blows along the way, some setbacks along the way, but I'm not bowing my head to anybody. I'm going to live my life however I deem fit foolish. So the foolishness of ignoring God's will, I see the one perspective we can have is we can ignore God's will, we can deny God's will, we, can, we know what it is, we can just say, I'm not going to do it. And, and I can't encourage you enough before we move on, be, look at the small areas of your life. Do the will of God in the small areas of life. Can I encourage you with that? Because sometimes we think, we might leave this place here this morning and think, you know what, I, God, I want, I want your will for my life. I want to do something great for you. Normally, that's what I hear sometimes. Not, maybe not always, but many times I hear that. I want to do your, God, I want your will in my life, and I want it to be something incredible for you. Okay, stop. Lord, help me to do your will in the small areas of my life. And I can tell you as your pastor, based upon the word of God, that if you and I will do God's will in the small areas of our lives, where no one sees them, no one applauds us. Hey, great job loving your wife like Christ loves the church when no one else was around to see you do it. There's no applause for that. There's no, there's no applause for the wife who submits herself to her own husband as unto the Lord and reveres him. What husband is worthy of that? All the time. Or a, a child who honors their mom and dad and obeys their parents and the Lord for this is right. But, but, but do the will of God in the small areas of, uh, let's do it in the small areas of our lives. And you know what? We will be where God wants us to be, and we will be who God wants us to be. 
And after years of living life, you will find that the battle has not subsided, but you will find yourself looking back and saying, wow, look what God has done. Look what God has done in my life. But just as it is God who is doing it, it is his will that is being accomplished, it also requires you and me, and for whatever reason, God chose to to allow this and to make it this way. He has a will for us. He is sovereign. He can do whatever it is that he wants to do. He is God, but yet he has chosen to give you and me free will in saying yes to him or no to him. I don't understand why he did that, except it brings him glory and honor. When a believer, one of his children in this life, with this wicked flesh, in this wicked world, pulling in one direction, it brings him honor and glory when we say no to that, which looks so enticing sometimes, and we say yes to the Lord with a prayer of, God, please help me, because I want to honor you, and I want to please you, and God delivers. And it is he who does it, and it is to his praise and to his glory, because frankly, if he doesn't work, we don't have the capability to break the chains and to to be holy as he is holy, or to be righteous, or to be honorable to God at all without him. And so it's to his glory. But we look back over our lives and we say, God, look what you've done. Now, Lord, would you keep doing it as I keep saying no to that and yes to your will. The context, again, is life is a vapor. This life is short. There's a third truth here, a third response we can have to God's will, and that is we can just disobey it. You see it in verse 17. It says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So there's a third choice or a third response to God's will we can have. We can just disobey it. We can ignore it. I don't want to know God's will. Just don't bother me with it. I don't want to know. By the way, one of the reasons why we come and gather under the preaching of God's word is because we want to know it. Have you ever come and the word of God is preached and you knew it was true and you knew your life wasn't exactly in line with that truth and you're kind of like, oh, I was kind of happier if I hadn't known that. Have you ever been there? I have. Oh, what am I going to do now? Well, verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It is sin. When we know what God's will is, and we just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. And you know, normally it's not that simple. Normally we have a few reasons why we're not going to do it. There are reasons, right? We're logical. We think things through. Um, well, I would do that, but we're living in 2019. And when was this written? I mean, I know it's eternal and all, but when, I mean, it was just, well, this, is, this is old stuff. I mean, I, this is 2019. I mean, that could be one reason. Or uh, I would do what God wants me to do, but the situation doesn't allow for it. I mean, God would never want me to take a pay decrease to do his will. Yeah, he does. He would want you to do that, actually. He wants you to do his will and trust him. Well, God wouldn't want me. I would be honest. I'm honest in all areas of my life except for this one area of business. You know, I mean, mean, Pastor Ferguson, the IRS, you you know those people aren't all honest all the time. So it would make sense that I wouldn't be honest with them sometimes, too, right? No, he wants you to do his will. Do his will. 
be honest. Well, you know how much it's going to cost me to be honest? You mean, do I know how much it's going to cost you to obey God? Is that what you mean? Be honest. Do his will. Don't disobey him. Look at verse 15, and we'll close here. There's a blessing of acknowledging and obeying God's will. Look at verse number 15. He says this, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. It is very appropriate for a believer, a child of God, to plan, to even map out his life, to make plans, but to make plans with God at the center. If the Lord wills, we'll retire here. If the Lord wills, I'm going to work until I die. If the Lord wills, we're going to move. If the Lord wills, we're going to get our children involved in these activities, if it fits within the will of God. You see how that would affect things? Okay, so I want my children to, you know, I got a couple of children who are on the athletic side. Um, perhaps um, I enjoy athletics, but if it's, going to, if it's going to take them away from the body of Christ, if it's going to take them out from underneath the teaching of the Word of God, if, it's going to, if that's going to be in opposition to uh, Hebrews, where it talks about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so, but this is the only time that league plays. I want my kids in that league. Yes, but it's 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 in contra. It's in opposition to what God says. You see, the unsaved person says, "You know what? Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. This life is short, and I'll get back in church someday." That would be an unsaved mindset. A person who's living like God doesn't have any will, or I'm going to disobey his will, I'm just going to ignore his will. See, this is a very practical passage. Don't live like God doesn't exist. And the whole of chapter 4 is in the context of you're proud, you put yourself up on a pedestal. You're organizing your life and you're living your life like God doesn't exist. He does exist. And he has a will for you. And he loves you like nobody else loves you. And he knows what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. He has done what is best for you. He is doing what is best for you. But don't live like he doesn't exist. Look to him in everything. Delight to do his will. Ask him, Lord, do you have a will about this in my life? Don't just go through life making choices and uh, per- making purchases and, and making decisions without God. Look to Him. Look to Him. The blessing of acknowledging and obeying God. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said this, I will return again. This is an Acts to the church at Ephesus. He said, I will return again if God will. When writing the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. So, what is the desire of our hearts? Are we living our lives in the will of God from the heart? Are you living your life searching for the will of God from your heart? 
Listen to how he puts it in Ephesians 6 and verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Have you ever done it half-heartedly? Oh, have you ever done the will of God half-heartedly? Like you're going to do it, but you don't want to do it. Have you, ever, have you ever been there? I mean, I can feel it. I, I, mean, I really, from the top of my head to the bottom of my toe, I can feel have those times in my life where it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. But I, I, you know I don't want to do this, right? I'm doing your will. You know, that's terrible. Isn't it wonderful when, you, when it, you're doing the will of God and it's from your heart? You, you want to do it. That, and that's what Paul said. That's how I want you to do the will of God, from your heart. That's how God wants us to do his will. Not half-heartedly. Not, not without any of our heart. We're just doing it. You know, some of us, maybe you're still living in your parents' home and they're saying, this is what you're going to do. And so you're doing it because that's your dad's bigger and stronger and your mom's going to take away your phone or whatever, you know? So that's why you're, you're obeying. What an obedient child you are, okay? Congratulations. Um, no, God says, I want you to do it from your heart. You know, God is concerned about the exterior, but he cares very, very much about your heart and my heart. And by the way, young person, we've got some teenagers here, by the way, it's not just when you're a teenager that you'll struggle with this. The rest of your life on this earth, there's going to be a war. There's a war in me between if I'm going to obey God because I have to or I'm going to obey God because I want to, because I love it. And loving him means I'm, I can't love some other things. Loving him means I'm not, I can't do some other things that, I, that my flesh wants to do. It doesn't end. It's a battle. It's, it's called a life of faith, taking God at his word. So live your life in the will of God from the heart. And then I would say this as I close, do all the will of God all the time. Now that uh, seems a bit impossible, but make it a goal. I'm going to do the will of God in every situation. Make it your goal. It, it's, that's a right goal, don't you think? Now, are you always going to do all of the will of God all the time? Yes or no? Probably not, or you're in heaven, okay? But it ought to be your goal. Don't buy into, don't give yourself some excuses that, uh, well, it's just not possible for me to do the, all the will of God all the time. So this is just one of those areas in my life that I'm not doing the will of God, okay? No, no, no. Don't leave yourself that excuse. Purpose in your heart, I'm going to do all the will of God. And by the way, he will not ask you to do more than he enables you to do. And he empowers you to do. Some of you are going through things in this room that he has not empowered me to go through. He's empowering you to go through them. But he hasn't asked me to go through that. He's asked you to go through it. Do the will of God in those situations. Listen to this passage in Colossians. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, that's to know his will, and all, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Then he says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. He says, Hi to you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete, listen to this, in all the will of God. Paul says, there's a man praying for you, church at Colossae. 
His name is Epaphras. You know what he prays for you about? He prays that you will do all of the will of God. I love seeing you when you gather together as a church, and that is doing the will of God. Good job. But you know what? I also know that every one of you are facing tests and trials and temptations throughout every day of every week. You know what I ought to be doing, and pastors, we ought to be praying this way. Lord, help the body of believers. Help these newly saved people. And these people have been saved a long time. Help your church to do all the will of God. We could pray by name. Help them to do the will of God. Help them do the will of God. And the context is because your life is vapor. You know, for the past two years, I've watched Clint grow. I watched him, I watched him struggle at times. He'd come over, Pastor, I just want to be honest with you. You got to know, I just can't hide it from you, Pastor. And I'm like, please don't tell me. I don't want to know. This is where I'm at. I'm like, oh. Then we'd pray. What do you think about this, Pastor? I wish I could share many, many conversations I had with him in just the decline. Thirty-five, one day short of thirty-six. He can't go back. I bet if he could come back, he'd do some things differently over the past two years. The Lord hasn't called you home. Why don't you and I purpose in our hearts, Lord, I know my life is a vapor. And Lord, I'm going to do your will. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to disobey it. I'm going to do your will. Lord, I'm, I'm, turning, I'm turning myself toward you. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to do your will with all of me, all of your will. And God, I need your help to